You take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Titus, chapter 1, Titus, chapter 1. While you're turning there, our weekly total for passing out tracts and sharing the gospel was 123. That brings your yearly total up to 3,086. So keep uh, sharing God's word. Titus, chapter 1. God willing, we'll be expounding verse 6 this morning. What a blessing to be able to remember the wonderful truth that Jesus has been raised from the dead. We commemorate that each Sunday. We come to church on Sundays because that's the day Jesus was raised from the dead. But what a special day to commemorate the, uh, the annual event uh, this morning. Titus chapter 1 verse 6. Uh, we're looking at the qualifications of a pastor this morning as we're getting into the next verse here in the book of Titus. In this study we've been learning about the true pastors that God has given for the edification of the church in comparison to the false pastors that Satan has slipped into the church for the destruction of the church. We left off in verse 5 last week where Paul told Titus, if you'd look in verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting or lacking, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. In this verse we learn that God has an established order for creation and also for the church. We learn that sin harms us because when we sin, we are getting things out of the order that God has established for us and for our lives and for creation. And the pastor's job is to ensure that everything in the church is done according to God's established order. Last week we learned that Titus's job was to make sure that only biblically qualified pastors were appointed over the churches in that area. And so now this morning, Paul is going to begin explaining what those qualifications are for those pastors. Paul said, Titus, you must appoint uh, elders in every church who meet these following qualifications. If you'll look with me now in verse 6, he says, if any be blameless. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for your son who's been raised from the dead for us. We thank you for the glorious truth, Lord, in which we meet here today that draws us all in here together, Father, as a group of believers in Jesus Christ. And we pray, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit will fill us and feed us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If any be blameless. Now Paul didn't say if any be perfect. Okay. I know looking at me and Brother Shepherd, you, you have a hard time thinking that pastors aren't perfect. I understand that. Especially Brother Shepherd. But. Uh, <laughs> and we laugh because we know we're not perfect. But uh, there's no such thing as a perfect pastor. Because pastors have an old sinful Adamic flesh just like every other person. So we don't need a perfect pastor, but we do need a biblical pastor. I think the reason some people try to find fault with pastors and 
And uh, it's because they don't want uh, to listen to them. So if they find some fault in them, then they can excuse themselves from having to go to church or having to pay attention. They can just blow that off and say, oh, well, that preacher there at that church or all the preachers I've dealt with in my life. Uh, we had uh, one uh, tell Brother Shepherd the other day that uh, he's found that uh, any time a preacher wants to talk to him, it's because he's in trouble or because the preacher wants money from him. And uh, I tell you, that's a poor attitude to have about preachers. But a preacher uh, doesn't have to be perfect, and here's why. Thank God a true pastor doesn't preach his own perfection. Isn't that good? We don't preach ourselves. We don't preach our qualifications. A true pastor doesn't preach his own perfection. He preaches the perfection of Jesus Christ, which Christ gives to imperfect people. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul said, For we, that is us elders, us preachers, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. That's all I am right here. I am a servant to you for the sake of Christ, not preaching to you anything about me, but I am going to preach everything in God's Word about Jesus. So we have to understand the difference between faultless pastors and blameless pastors. The Greek word translated blameless means you can't incriminate him for something. And literally it means you can't call him in. And immediately I start thinking of the the law here in the United States and the courtroom situation and all, you can't, you can't get an arrest warrant for that person, bring him in and have him stand before the court on a particular charge. That's literally what this Greek word means here. In other words, there's no unadjudicated offense that you can charge him with. He may have done something wrong in the past. We've all done things wrong in the past, especially if a pastor uh, lived into his adulthood uh, before becoming a Christian. They have a history sometimes. And, uh, and he may have done something wrong with the past, but through Christ, he has made things right with God and others about his past conduct. And praise God, he'll be living for God today. So although you can point at any pastor and call him a sinner, you should not be able to point at any pastor and show a pattern of disregard for God's Word in that man's life. Why? Because if he doesn't follow God's Word in his own house, then what makes you think he's going to follow God's Word in God's house? <laughs> No one should be able to say, well, he's a fine preacher, but boy, he owes people money all over town. He won't pay them back. You see, that's not blameless. He's got something outstanding in his life. He just doesn't care about it. He's not taking care of his business according to the Word of God. Uh, if you get a pastor that owes a lot of people money and won't pay it back, and you go ahead and you, you uh, call him his pastor anyway, then don't be surprised when the church comes up missing some money. No one should be able to say, well, he preaches a good sermon, but he's a lady man. He had an affair at the last church he was pastoring at. I was told about a pastor near Athens 
several years ago that had an affair on his wife uh, with, a, uh, with a woman when he was pastoring a church outside of Athens. And, uh, and the church there ran him off, as they should have. But from what I understand, he was a very good speaker and had a dynamic personality. So another church uh, closer to Athens, after he got ran off from another church, they went ahead and hired him there. And, for, and, and, uh, and it looked like everything was going to be fine for that new church. Uh, he uh, he, he uh, uh, had the church beginning to grow and had a lot of programs. He hired a community organizer that, that worked uh, with the city on organizing events and hired him to pull in to organize events for the church. And man, that church seemed to be really taking off. But uh, the problem was he started having an affair with another woman in that church, with a new church. And then it broke a lot of hearts. It caused a lot of mistrust. And had they simply followed the Bible, they could have avoided a lot of damage to a lot of people in that church. No one should be able to say, he's good at some things in the pulpit, but he tells dirty jokes at work. I mean, he tells great stuff in the pulpit. He makes some really good points, but at work, man, he's, he's got a foul mouth. A few years ago, a friend of mine uh, had a pastor who owned his own plumbing company. My friend had some plumbing experience and he needed a job. So he went to work for that pastor's plumbing company as a plumber's helper. And while he was on the job, naturally, he had a lot of uh, opportunity to spend a lot of time uh, with his pastor. And he discovered that his pastor had a potty mouth. And according to the Bible, if you have a dirty mouth, it's because you have a dirty heart. (laughs) And after working with his pastor for a while... The pastor eventually offered my friend a job at the church as his associate pastor. And so he happily took that job. And uh, that worked out for a short time until uh, my friend got crossways with the pastor over something. Didn't like how the pastor spoke to him. And so my friend stepped down from his position and left the church. And my friend on the phone, wanted to know, in my opinion, uh, uh, you know, did you think I was right to quit my position and step down? If the, he said, if the pastor would have talked to you that way, wouldn't you have quit too? And I said, no, because if I knew the man had a dirty mouth at work, I would have never gone to his church to begin with. The man was not blameless, therefore he was not qualified. How he spoke in public contradicted to how he spoke in the pulpit. The pastor will not be perfect, but he must not be able to be blamed for having a disregard for God's word in his life. Paul said the elder or the pastor must, we'll go to the next qualification now, must be, look at the next part, the husband of one wife. Boy, this is going to be a fun one here. This should absolutely end the debate on whether or not a woman can be a pastor. (laughs) The Greek word translated husband here literally means a man. A man. It can be translated husband uh, in the Greek in the, same, uh, in the same way that the Bible might say the man and his wife, right? Or the way a pastor today performing a ceremony, uh, a wedding ceremony would say, I now pronounce you man and wife, right? 
Same, same way, same thing. But it means a man. Turn with me, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 15. Keep your place here in Titus and turn to Matthew chapter 15. And in this verse, Jesus just got through feeding several thousand people by multiplying the bread and the, you know, and the fish and all that. And speaking about that miracle in Matthew 15, 38... Matthew said, I hear some pages turning, I'm going to wait for them to get there. Get your pens out and get ready to mark in your Bibles. Matthew 15, 38, uh, Matthew said, and they that did eat were 4,000, underscore the word men, 4,000 men beside women and children. Now, that Greek word translated men here is the same Greek word translated husband in Titus 1.6. And watch how the Greek word translated men here is used to differentiate between men, women, and children. It sets them apart. So if it is a man in this Greek word, then it is not a woman and it is not a child. Make sense? So what do we learn from this? We learn that a pastor must be a man and must not be a woman or a child. <laughs> if you can't biologically be the man of one wife. Then you cannot biblically be the pastor of one church. Simply put. <laughs> now let's consider the qualification of the pastor having one wife. Paul is not saying that an elder has to be married. Okay. He's not saying a pastor has to be married. It's perfectly fine for a pastor to be single. How do we know that? Because Paul is the one giving the qualifications here. And Paul was single. Okay? So that should be simple. 1 Corinthians, if you're taking notes, write this down in your margin or in your notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. He says, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows... It is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot, let them marry. In other words, you can be single. It's better if they can be single like me. But if they can't keep from being married, if they're not content being married, and if they're going to be lusting after some man or some woman, then let them get married. He said, for it's better to marry than to burn, meaning to burn in lust. So Paul is not saying a man must be married. He's saying if the man is married, he must only have one wife. Make sense? And this text reveals to us the foolishness of the Catholic Church. Because they forbid their pastors to be married. If the Bible says the pastor must be the husband of one wife, then how can they say he can't be the husband of any wife? It's not biblical. And I just wonder why 
Well, I know I shouldn't wonder why they don't read their Bibles, apparently. If they read their Bibles, you'd think they would come across scriptures like this and say, why are they forbidding our pastors to be married? Paul said he wished every man could be single like him, not tied down to any other burden in the ministry, but just to be able to serve the Lord alone. But he said that uh, not every man is called to serve God as a single person. Not every woman is called to serve God as a single person. If they were, we wouldn't have any children, right? We wouldn't be able to uh, propagate the human race. So a single pastor is fine. And a married pastor is fine. But if he is married, he must only be married to one wife. So finally, let's consider what it means to have one wife. And you may be thinking, Brother Richard, why would you have to tell us what it means to have one wife? That's pretty simple, you know. But the language is surely plain enough here that I shouldn't have to explain it. But there are some fundamentalists who interpret Paul's words to mean that a pastor must never have been divorced. And the problem with that, of course, is that's not what Paul said, (laughs) okay? But the fundamentalists argue, here's their argument. They say, well, if a woman divorces a man, and then that man remarries another woman, then in the eyes of the Lord, that man and his first wife are still married in the eyes of God. Y'all ever heard anyone teach that? Yeah, I have too. So they say if the man remarries after his first wife divorces him, since God still sees him in the eyes of the Lord married to that first woman, then if he marries someone else, he's now married to two wives because she is still a living spouse to him. Is this correct? Does God really view a couple as being married after they've been divorced? Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 24, because I don't want to tell you the answer. We'll look and see what God says. Deuteronomy chapter 24, and we'll find out the answer to this question. Deuteronomy chapter 24, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible. Should be easy to find like that. Deuteronomy chapter 24. I'm so glad I have a Bible. I don't have to be confused about things. You can go to it and learn from the Lord Himself. Deuteronomy chapter 24. We're going to be looking at the first four verses here. Does God consider if someone gets divorced, does He still consider them married in His eyes? Deuteronomy 24, look in verse 1. He says, when a man hath taken a wife and married her. Okay, now they're married. And it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. If it was only that easy today. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be, underscore, another man's wife. Now, whose wife is she now? His wife or another man's wife? She is now another man's wife. Look in verse 3. And if the latter husband hate her, in other words, he gets her and he doesn't like her, and write her a bill of divorcement and give it to her hand and send her out of his house, 
or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife. Now, let me just pause there a moment. So the first husband sends her out of his house. She goes and she now becomes another man's wife. And then that second man, her second husband, he says, man, there's something wrong with this lady. All right. She's done cheated on me too. So he now sends her out of his house. All right. You still have the first husband over here, the original husband. Verse uh, 4. God says her former husband, under the score the word former. Now, if he is her former husband in the eyes of God, he is not her current husband in the eyes of God. You see that? Her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. She's not his wife. Because if she was his wife, she, he couldn't, God wouldn't forbid him from taking her as his wife because she already is. He said, after that she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Again, if God considered them to still be married in his eyes, then he would have never given her permission to marry another man because that would have been adultery. Why would God tell her to go commit adultery if she's still married? And if God considered them to still be married, then how could God say they could not be married if they already were? Finally, Paul said the pastor must be a man. Look back in your text. Having faithful children. Some people interpret this to mean having Christian children. Having saved children. The word faithful does not mean his children have to be saved. If that were the case, then a pastor could not serve, a man could not serve as a pastor until all the children he had became believers in Jesus Christ and were saved. And if the pastor was still young enough to have another child, and he's in the pulpit preaching, and he's been pastoring for several years, if his wife became pregnant, the moment she became pregnant, he then would have to stop being a pastor because the child's still not saved. The little baby's not saved. And it's the baby's going to be born, and then you're going to have several years of that baby growing up and learning about the Lord, and then before the baby could even be old enough to imagine becoming a Christian. So the, the, the pastor then, simply from having another child, would now be unqualified as a pastor because that child's not saved yet. And if somebody in the church doubted that child's salvation, they would then doubt the pastor's qualification. You see how messed up that gets? But remember... Paul is not talking about the children's qualification here. He's talking about the pastor's qualification. So the idea of being of a child being faithful here is there has to be a connection that Paul is making between the faithfulness of the child and the pastor's ability to lead the church. Does that make sense? Some people believe faithful means uh, saved because the word can be translated as believing. But if you turned real quick in your Bibles, uh, you're, we're in Titus 1. To just, just take a sneak peek to chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. 
And in Titus 3 verse 8, you will see that Paul says, this is a faithful saying. You see that? This is a faithful saying. Same Greek word translated faithful here. That's translated faithful as faithful children in Titus 1.6. So now we have a faithful saying. Is Paul saying that the saying is saved? Is Paul saying the saving the, the saying he said has been born again? No. Paul isn't saying that uh, the, the saying is saved, of course. He's saying the saying is dependable. It's reliable saying that he just said. So I believe what Paul is saying is the pastor's children must be faithful in the sense that they are faithful to their parents' instruction at the time. I believe the whole point here is to prevent a scenario where you have an elder behaving like that of the Old Testament priest Eli. If you're familiar with that story, the Old Testament priest Eli, he had sons who were unfaithful. And he allowed those sons to serve as priests, even though they did not know the Lord, and even though they did not follow God's word, and they would not obey Eli's instructions, their dad's instructions. And this ended up causing the people of Israel to sin because his sons were setting an evil influence before the people and provoking them to wickedness. And although Eli, Eli knew they were doing wrong, Eli was fully aware of what they were doing. He knew they were doing wrong and he told them that they were doing wrong, but he would not stop them from doing wrong. And instead he allowed them to continue in the priesthood. It was a real shame. I believe Eli was a fine man. He just wouldn't handle his business. And the point is, if a pastor will not govern his own house, then how can we expect him to govern the house of God? Make sense? Had Eli taken corrective measures to make sure the house of God was not polluted by his boys, then he would have done no wrong. But he failed to take the measure necessary to protect the holy things of God. In the same way, if a pastor has young children, then he needs to make them obey his word. That's the beauty about being a child and being an adult. You can whip them if you have to. You can lock them in, your, in their room if you have to. When they get old, you cannot. Then it becomes assault and imprisonment, right? And so it doesn't work that way when they're old but when they're young you can so so a pastor needs to make his children obey and if when they grow up and they're still in his home and they refuse to obey their father and mother and the pastor needs to do with them what God did with Adam and Eve when they refused to obey him God was a good parent <laughs> he was a good heavenly father you know the Bible calls Adam the son of God and, uh, and so uh, God raised them right. God taught them right. But they had a free will. And Adam and Eve disobeyed. And when they refused to obey, what did God do? He put them out of the house. He put them out of the garden. If they are going to live a wicked life, then the pastor does not need to be the enabler and trouble his own house with the wicked conduct of his children. They need to go. Adam and Eve's disobedience was no reflection on the holiness of God. Why? Because God separated himself from their conduct and he held them accountable. 
while in his home, therefore, the pastor's children must be those who are, look in your text, not accused of riot. There's a saying in Texas, one riot, one ranger. And the, but the Greek word translated riot here doesn't have the idea of us seeing people riding in the streets with Molotov cocktails and chunking rocks at police and things like that. It, it, it means in the Greek that they're not acting in a godly manner. They're acting contrary to the way a Christian should be acting when their father is the one who is to be holding them accountable to those standards. It isn't speaking about riding in the streets. It's speaking about unholy living. So his children can't be riotous, nor, look back in your text, he says, or unruly. And not the, the word unruly here, um, it, it means they must be ruled by their parents, right? And if the parents can't rule them, if the parents can't make them behave anymore, then, you know, they have to be put out, and if the parents will not make them behave, then, they, then the dad has no business being a pastor. If they're unruly, then they're insubordinate. They're disobedient. They're blatantly disobedient. And if they will not allow themselves to be ruled by their dad, then they must be removed by their dad. And if they are not removed by the pastor from his house, then once again, how can you expect the pastor to remove unruly people from God's house, which the church is required to do? Do you know that? The pastor is required, and thus the people are required, to remove unruly people from the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, same person who wrote to the Corinthian church is the same person who wrote to Titus, same author here, so it really helps us to look at this, Paul is speaking here as well. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 12 and 13, Paul asked this question, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? What he's saying is, we don't judge people in the world. I'm not going down the Lions Club and worried about how people are behaving there. I'm not going down the Masonic Lodge and worried about how their members are behaving there. I'm not worried about the city council and how the members are behaving there. That's not my venue, but in the church, we are going to be concerned with how the members are behaving. <laughs> And so in verse 13 he says, But them that are without God judgeth. In other words, I let God take care of them. But in the church he says, Therefore put away from yourselves, from among yourselves that wicked person. That's what he's telling the church. Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. I hope it'll be a long time before we ever have to do that as a church. You know, we voted someone out as a member a while back. And, uh, and if, you know, it comes up to where um, uh, someone starts doing wrong and uh, living ungodly life and they're unrepentant, uh, then uh, after we have borne with them and tried to work with them and they just refuse to follow God's word and everything, then... Uh, that's what we'll do again. You know, we'll just put them out of the church, as God said. But again, if the pastor is unwilling to handle it in his home, how is he going to handle it on a larger scale? You see, at the home, you only have mom, dad, and grown-up kids at that time. 
in the church, you may have someone who's doing the wrong and someone over here that's related to them may be putting a lot of money in the offering plate. And then that pastor thinks, well, we don't want to get rid of them. If we get rid of them, those people may go. And if those people go, then we'll be losing money. So it's a, it's a bigger scale that it's on. So Paul's saying, if you don't take care of it at the house on the micro level, how's it going to handle it on a larger level? The pastor must judge his house and remove the wicked. And the pastor must judge God's house and remove the wicked. And don't get me wrong, sinners are always welcome in both houses. Both the pastor's house and God's house. Thank God Jesus celebrated the return of the prodigal son to his father's house. Amen. (laughs) But he returned with the attitude, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. Man, we'll take that anytime. Sinners, repentant sinners are always welcome in God's house. That's, this is the place of refuge for, for, the, for sinners. Thank God we're all welcome here because we're all sinners. Thank God Jesus welcomes sinners at the cross. The prodigal son was celebrated back home, but the devil and his angels were cast out of their home because they refused to follow the rules of God's house. God's kingdom. When it comes to the church, repentant sinners are always welcome. But unruly rebels will trouble any house where they abide. And that's why God put them out. And that's why we must put them out. We put them out with a broken heart to keep from having a broken church. With that, we'll go ahead and close and take back up where we left off next week. I love going verse by verse because I don't have to worry about what topics to preach on. I don't have to worry about overlooking some particular issue and not dealing with it in the church. We take it the way the Bible's written when it comes and we expound it uh, the way God has given it. Thank God He's given us um, uh, qualifications that are in black and white. That we can look at, understand, and then apply them. And listen, if me or Brother Shepherd ever begin to violate these qualifications, then you hold us accountable. And if need be, you as a church put us out. Just as we would put someone else out. You put us out. If any pastor gets up there, I don't care if he's your favorite person. I don't care if he sends you cards on your birthday. Some people love it when preachers send them cards on their birthday. I can't even remember my own birthday half time. I don't care if he comes and if he preached your funeral and is so sweet to you and all that stuff. Listen, if I ever started running around on my sweet wife, God forbid, I'd rather die first. But if I were to ever start behaving that way, y'all get rid of me, would you? Get rid of me. Put someone else up here to preach the Word of God. God's house, the reputation of Christianity, in your spiritual need to be fed, far exceeds what one man needs in that pulpit. You know, to keep his check coming. To to be able to keep up there and not hurt his feelings or something like that. You've got to handle God's business. And with that, we'll go ahead and close. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. 
We love you. We thank you for laying out qualifications. I pray, dear God, that me and Brother Shepherd will always uh, abide in your will. I pray, dear Lord God, that you'll never let us go to the left hand or to the right. Be merciful to us, O God. Let us not end as David did. Let us not end as Solomon did. Lord, but let us end as Joshua and Caleb did. As Elijah and Elisha did. As Jesus, our Savior, did. Let us be faithful unto death. We pray it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.